Here we go, ladies and gentlemen, as promised, the man, the myth, the legend, Zach Lang, sitting down with Offside. This is Offside Hockey Talk, proudly brought to you by our friends over at Boxing Rock Brewing Co. Check out their puck off Lagerdale. It's the big beer for the big game. And what bigger games than the playoffs? And, of course, the Edmonton Oilers, a team, Zach, that we talked about around the trade deadline as a team that may not even get in. And now look at where they are. Are you shocked? Just gut reaction for as far as this team has gotten so far. Well, first of all, James, thanks again for having me. It's always a pleasure to come hop on here with you. Um, truth be told, yeah, I'm a little bit surprised this team has gone as far as they have in these playoffs. Um, I think when you look at earlier in the season under Dave Tippett, you know, this was an Oilers team that was really struggling. Um, they went on a really poor run through December and into January there. And, uh, you know, basically forced Ken Holland's hand to bringing in Jay Woodcroft. Jay Woodcroft is a guy that, you know, a lot of us around the Oilers have been advocating for for a long time as a guy who can step in and sort of take the reins as the next head coach of this club. And I think he's showing exactly why now. He turned this team around from a team that was, as you mentioned, looking like they might miss the playoffs entirely into not only a team that made the playoffs, but has made some serious noise in these playoffs. Uh, they dispatched the Kings in seven games. And I think everybody in the hockey world was shocked to see the Oilers beat the Calgary Flames in five the way they were able to. Um, you know, at the end of the day, yeah, the Oilers are one of the top four teams in the league. I don't think there's a lot of people that expected that. No, well, obviously, we looked at the first series and I said, well, the Kings had the number. It looked like that's the way it was going to go. And then the Oilers found a way to get it done. Then it goes to Calgary Flames. And everybody said, no, there's no possible way they're beating the Calgary Flames. Calgary is too good, too well coached. Go up and down, whatever whatever you want to use. And the Oilers go and get it done, what, in, in great fashion. They dispatched of the Flames, a team that is supposed to have better goaltending, some better defensemen, and just a better overall top-to-bottom forward group. And it wasn't the case. Now, I'm wondering for you, you look at this team, what is clicking? What is the magic? What is the juju that this team is getting right now that is allowing them to go? What is the belief here? A lot of people say it's the similarity to the St. Louis Blues with a young member of Oilers Nation that the team is really rallying around. And that could be a reason that you you look for reasons. And that could be one where this team is just elevating their game because they want to give the best to this young man. Yeah, I think I think that's part of it for sure. I mean, the obvious X factor is Connor McDavid, right? You look at what he's doing. He's having a historic performance in the playoffs. And his lineman right now, Leon Dreisaitl, is doing equally as well. These guys are producing at uh, legendary clips that are already amongst the best in any playoff performances. Um, but I think something that not a lot of people are talking about is the Oilers' depth that they have through their lineup. You know, they brought in guys like Evander Kane, Zach Hyman last year at the trade deadline. You know, the Oilers' third line of Warren Fogle, Ryan McLeod, and Yessa Pugliarvi, they're doing great work right now. On the back end, Cody Ceci, he was, he's been absolutely tremendous for the Oilers this year. 
Um, I was a big fan of that signing. And, you know, the move that I think has been incredibly underrated was the acquisition of Brett Kulak at the deadline. Yes. Um, I think it is. I, I wrote this on Twitter last week and I got a lot of heat for it. I think Brett Kulak bringing him in was equally as important as bringing in Evander Kane. And Evander Kane's a guy who came in scoring and has scored at a 40 goal uh, per season pace with the Oilers so far. And Kulak, he's come in and played on the third pairing alongside Tyson Berry, and he's really settled Berry's game down. And Berry's back to looking like an effective defenseman like he can be. I think these are all the things that have kind of, you know, these are all the ingredients, so to speak, um, but at the end of the day, Jay Woodcroft is sort of the the protein of the dish, so to speak, that has brought it all together. Um, he's got this team highly motivated, and he's brought a mentality of taking everything one day at a time. The Oilers truly take every single day, one day at a time. And, you know, Woodcroft kind of has this infamous quote that he kind of says where, you know, after a win or a loss, he says, you know, after a win, he says, we're going to enjoy this one for 15 minutes and then we're on to the next game. You know, if it's a loss, it's the same thing. You know what? We're going to take 15, 20 minutes, let the emotions of it sort of ride out. We're going to find some positives to pull out of this game and then digest that moving into the next game. And that's the message that he sent after game one uh, last night against Colorado, where it was, Hey, you know what? Like, yeah, we lost this game. It was eight, six, but Hey, we scored six goals on the Colorado Avalanche, which is a team that was top 10 in the league in goals against in the regular season. So, you know, this this one-day-at-a-time mindset has really kind of changed the way that, uh, um, you know, the Oilers have kind of operated here. No, it definitely pays dividends as well, right? Because what is the best thing for anyone who's got confidence issues or anything like that? Put it behind you quickly, move on from it, uh, learn what you can from it, but go. Just let it go and focus on what's next whether it's a win or a loss, because even in a win, you can still find things to pick apart. So a coach is always going to be coaching, period. Um, I ask you um, about the Edmonton Oilers and the belief of this team, but it's just insane to me to watch a team go from what it was to where it is. And it's under Woodcroft. It's under Manson. These guys have really transformed this team, and they've all bought in. Basically almost the same personnel, Sands, you know, Kulak, and Kane, which Kane is huge. Kane was huge. Leave the off-ice issues to the side here. What yeah. he's done and being able to play there, I want to ask you, is this a player that Edmonton tries to sign long-term? I asked that question with the cadence. We all know what happens with Evander Kane when he gets comfortable. It seems like when he's uncomfortable or on rocky terms or whatever, the best version of Evander Kane comes out. So do you yeah, just match him at two- or three-year deals to keep him kind of hungry and motivated? You know, when I look at the Evander Kane situation, I see a guy who was highly motivated to come in and put his past behind him. Um, you know, when he came to Edmonton, I feel like I got the sense that he was ready to move on from the things that have happened and the mistakes that he made as a person uh, in the past. And he seemed to want to correct them. We've heard nothing but good things about Evander Kane from the Edmonton Oilers up till this point. We haven't heard any kind of noise or anything of the ilk about Evander Kane away from the Edmonton Oilers. Um, he just welcomed his second kid into the world here last week, a young boy. Um, so, you know, he's a new dad who's highly motivated to, you know, sort of make a name for himself again, now in a positive, a more positive light. Um, you know, on the ice, he's been more than this team ever expected him to be. Yeah. You know, he came in and we said 
as as people who cover the team, you know what? Maybe he can come in and score at a 20-goal pace, chip in some points, bring that physicality on that top line with Connor McDavid um, and sort of be a secondary contributor to all of a sudden saying, well, wow, he's scoring at a 40-goal pace. He's leading the playoffs in goal scoring. He's got two hat-tricks in the playoffs in massive games for the Oilers. Like even last night, game one, he scored the first goal of that game. He absolutely wired a shot past Darcy Kemper. He's been everything this team's asked for more, asked for and more. You know, when we talk about his next contract, this is where it gets interesting. Uh, From Kane's perspective, you know, he's a guy who's probably going to come in and saying, well, look at what I've done for you guys. Here's the proof. Absolutely. The proof's in the pudding. You know, I want a a six, seven-year deal, six, seven million dollars AAV at least. Um, no trade clause. Like those are the things that he's probably going to want to ask for. You know, at the end of the day, the Oilers have some cap issues, James. There's no way about it. They they are a team that doesn't have a whole lot of wiggle room come this offseason. Uh, you know, this last year, Ken Holland had about $25 million in cap space to play with. You know, in hindsight, I think he's used it pretty effectively. But moving forward, you know, there's some issues for this team. So, you know, realistically... Edmonton's also got restricted free agents in Kyler Yamamoto and Yessa Puliyarvi, who they need to sign. You know, they'll probably get some bridge contracts um, in order for the Oilers to really keep Evander Kane around in any sense of the term. Somebody like Zach Cassian and or Tyson Berry are going to have to be on the way out. It's yeah. as simple as that. Um, if I'm Ken Holland, you know, I would maybe go three years at maybe five and a half million dollars on Kane. Um, I think that that gives him, you know, some money for what he's been worth and what he's been able to provide and produce for this team. Um, it also gives them some security long term. Let's not forget Evander Kane's also 30 years old, right? So yeah. he is he is on the, the 11th tee box right now on the back nine of his NHL career. And as we all know, those last nine holes, they can go quick for players. So I think there has to be some caution for the Oilers. No, I definitely believe you're right. And you look at it like this. Hey, and look at that right there. By the way, watch the tweet with this guy here with the the dollar iced coffees, man. They are back. Go get them. Absolutely delicious. By the way, everybody's checking in right now. We're live across Twitter, Twitch, YouTube, and uh, and um, why can't I remember the last one? YouTube. Um, I think I said that. TikTok as well. Uh, this is Zach Lang of the Oilers Nation Daily Faceoff. Make sure you follow him. Make sure you follow everything. He's covering the Oilers. Come on, guys. They're on a run. Let's go. But, yeah, you look at Evander Kane and what happens when he gets comfortable. It's the only thing that people are worried about. But you are right. It's been quiet there. And it may be the simple fact of getting to play with a guy like Connor McDavid and having the opportunity to go on a run and do different things that is allowing him to say, hey, I'm going to keep everything quiet. I'm going to do everything I possibly can to make this the best possible thing. Like you said, I'm 30 years old, and this may be my last swing at any type of deal. So I got to get it right, and this is the time to do it. And, of course, welcome your second child in the world. That right there is something you have to keep in mind. It's not just about you anymore. There's other little ones right there that are going to watch you grow and see what you've done in the past when they get older. So what example do you want to set? Do you want to say, hey, I was you know, wild and did my thing, and then I became the man that I am now? Or I was wild and stayed wild and say, la vie, that's just me. You know, mm-hmm. I think Evander Kane wants to do the latter and definitely be the – the, the right guy. But yeah, I want to ask you this. We talked about this situation at the trade deadline. Do the Oilers go get a goaltender because of Mike Smith and Miko Koskinen? And lo and behold, here goes rolling back the clock. Mike Smith says, nah, I'm good. 
here, guys, we're going to go on a roll. Let's rock it. And here he is saving the Oilers bacon, doing what he does, looking like a superstar goaltender throughout the playoffs, making key saves at key times. And you know me, I'm huge with the Leafs about guys making key saves at key times. That's what Mike Smith is doing. How is he doing it? And here's the bigger question. When does the bubble burst? Because everybody thinks that bubble has to burst, but I don't see it happening. Mike Smith is a weird one. He, it's a strange situation. I don't know. I don't know what to say, James. It's wild. <laughs> um, everybody's written him off for the last two years, and I don't know what happened or how he did it, but he found the lost fountain of youth, and he is drinking all of the water from it, um, seemingly turning back the clock to have two of the best seasons of his entire career at 39 and 40 years old. Um, the goaltenders who have had the success at his age in the NHL, they're few and far between. Um, he's, he's a very stressful goaltender, James. He's very stressful to watch. Uh, you know, I've grown a few grays here in my beard over the last <laughs> couple of months. I'm um, going to have to get some just for men soon. Um, but no, it's, it's been strange to see. You know, he's doing a great job right now for the team. And <clears throat> I think you look at, you know, the series against LA and the series against Calgary, you know, he put up some stinkers in game one in both of those series and he battled back in a tremendous way um, and was a big reason why the Oilers were able to sort of win those series more so I think against Calgary than against LA. Um, you know, it's been impressive to say the least. Will the bubble burst? I mean, who the hell knows? We've all been sitting waiting for it to happen. And, you know, yeah. I thought game one against Calgary, that was it. And then, you know, he backstopped the Oilers to four straight wins against the Pacific Division champions, um, pulling off a, a wild, wild comeback there. Um, you know, last night was a tough one again for the Oilers in game one against Colorado. Um, but at the end of the day, there was a lot of poor defensive play from the team that really didn't help. So I think the team's confident and I think they'll probably go back to him tomorrow night. Oh, no, they'll definitely go back to him just with the, the history of this playoffs for what he's been able to do. Um, I just I just think it's crazy to look at the, this goaltender that will be 41, I believe he is, when the season starts next year. And this is, this is the goaltender again that Edmonton's going to roll with next year with Skinner more than likely because I think Koskinen's deal is up. Um, I've yeah. floated the idea, hey, we, we'd love to give you Petr Mrazek as a – or Peter, sorry, everybody got on my my case about that. Uh, Peter Mrazek as a, a backup goaltender gift if you if you guys want him. But no, in all honesty, it's crazy to watch this happen. But it's amazing at the same time because the kicking that Edmonton has got since they've had Leon Dreisaitl and Connor McDavid and not being able to give these guys the reward of going on a run like this. Now they're doing it. What's the vibe in Edmonton? What's the vibe around fans? Because we know, as Leaf fans, Oilers fans, any Canadian fan, how toxic fan bases can be when things aren't going the right way. Now it is going the right way. Is it all sunshine and rainbows, or is there still people just saying, hey, this isn't real, this is all kooky dukes, it's going to end? Dude, it's, it's unbelievable, the city of Edmonton right now. It is going nuts, every single one of these games. Um, I live about 15 blocks west of the arena. And so right across the street from the arena in downtown Edmonton, they have a big open area uh, <clears throat> called the Moss Pit, named after the late Joey Moss. This is where yep. all the fans have been congregating for all of the games. 
Um, in game five against Calgary, I was sitting at home in front of my computer, getting the clips that I always do. I heard the goal scored 20 seconds before I saw the goal scored. That's how loud people were in downtown Edmonton. That's awesome. That's that awesome. 15 blocks away. I'm hearing it. It's insane. And it's this type of energy has been here all playoffs long for this team. Um, you know, it's been a tough road, James. There's no, there's no other way to put it. It's been a long um, seven years with Connor McDavid here. And there's been some very tumultuous times, you know, in the 2017 playoffs, the Oilers went on a nice little run. Um, they, they beat San Jose in the first round, lost to Anaheim in seven off a controversial call where Ryan Kessler held Cam Talbot's pad. That's one we will never get over. Um, but you know, at the end of the day, you look at Colorado on the other side of Edmonton right now, um, McKinnon first overall draft pick in what 2013, yeah. how much noise of the avalanche truly made, um, you know, same thing, you know, um, not to dig the knife in any deeper than it probably already is, but Austin Matthews, right. Since 2016, it's, it's been the same sort of a thing. So we have that shared experience of, you know, knowing how difficult it is. You know, one thing we've heard a lot of from the Oilers is that, you know, these past experiences they've had, you know, 2017 getting out of the first round, 2020, they got swept by Chicago in the qualifying round. Last year, they got swept by the Winnipeg Jets. You know, these are all the learning experiences that this team now has had that has helped them in the future. Um, and the future being now in this playoff run, they've got so many great experiences they've been able to draw on. And even early on, they've been doing a ton of that through the playoffs so far too. So the vibes are high, you know, really feels like the franchise has turned a corner this season uh, under Jay Woodcroft. So in saying that, if the Oilers, and I don't think they will, I think they're going to give the avalanche all they can handle and it's going to be a coin toss especially now with darcy kemper apparently may not even be able to start um in game two if the oilers bow out in the third round is that good enough for the fan base to be excited again for next year because we all know how quickly everyone wants to blow things up and not keep things together because that's just what you do you blow it up because it's not working but maybe staying the course is the right thing. I look at the Tampas. I look at the Pittsburghs. I look at the teams that keep course together and do things like runs. You know, so would Edmonton keep, I know we're talking about Kane and having to maybe move some pieces to get some guys under contract. I understand that. But the nucleus of it, if they bow out in three, do you think things stay the same? And further that question, does this satiate Connor McDavid, where everybody says, hey, he's got a clock. Because now the Oilers have gone on a little bit of a run. Now you're feeling that energy and that vibe. And now you're the captain of that Edmonton Oilers team that went on that run, and everybody wants to take the next step now that you've gone at least three rounds. We don't know what's going to happen, but at least three rounds. Do you think it's enough? Yeah, absolutely I do. Um, I think, you know, back to the first part of your question there, when we, when we were talking about playoff success for the Edmonton Oilers, first and foremost, making the playoffs was important, right? Um, there, was, there was no other situation that would have been acceptable um, than the Oilers making the playoffs. They got into the playoffs, and then it was kind of like, okay, you know what? If we can get out of one round here, that's probably a successful season based off of what's happened in the last few years. Again, the, the sweep to Chicago, the sweep to the Jets, um, you know, 
at the end of the day, the Oilers not only got out of the first round again, they but they beat the Flames in five, James. That was like honestly, that was kind of Edmonton's Stanley Cup, so to speak, here uh, in the grand scheme of things. You know, the interdivision rivalry here. You know, I've said it and I'll say it again here to you. You know, being in the Western Conference Finals, it's kind of just gravy right now. It's the cherry on top of what's been a successful season. Like, what's what's the worst that happens here? The Oilers get swept by a very good Colorado team that was Ooh. been considered the front runners all year long for the cup. I mean, yeah, yeah. okay, you, you don't want to get swept in any situation, nor do I think that's going to happen. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I got the confidence that this team can take Colorado to six or seven games at the very least here. Um, but yeah, this has been, uh, in every sense of the term, a successful season. And it is the start of, as you mentioned, the run, right? You know, people have always said the clock's ticking on Connor McDavid. Um, as soon as he became an Edmonton Oiler, it was, okay, how can we win in the next three years while he's on an entry-level contract, right? Yeah. <clears throat> and then he signed his con- you know, his big long-term deal. And then, you know, the, the, then the conversation was, okay, reset the clock. Now it's eight years, right? How, how much further can the Oilers go? What kind of damage can they do, right? Um, you know, now we're in that sort of window where it's like, okay, this is crunch time. Um, this is the time for the Edmonton Oilers to take that next step. Um, and I think they're ready to do it. I think they've got the playoff experience. This year is going to be, it was so instrumental getting out of two rounds for all of the players on this team. You yep. know, there's still some really young guys on this team. Kyler Yamamoto, Yessa Puliyarvi, Ryan McLeod. Um, three young forwards right now in the Oilers' bottom six that are playing big roles. Um, I also think there's some credit to give for Ken Holland for taking some bets on some older veterans that has worked out, you know, okay. You know, Duncan Keith, he's probably been better than what I expected him to be. Um, Am I still upset about the acquisition cost and his cap it? Absolutely. But hey, you know what? Western Conference Finals, right? Yeah. Um, you know, there were some other moves, bringing in a guy like Derek Ryan that I thought has paid off dividends as well. You know, bringing back a good seventh defenseman in Chris Russell. Um, I think there's been some good moves that have helped propel this team into their cup window. No, I I can't not agree with you. It stings to see a guy like Zach Hyman, you know, all the stuff with the Toronto Maple Leafs now finally going on a run with Connor McDavid, but it shows you the value that he brings as well, what he can bring to a team and, you know, how you know, much the Maple Leafs did miss that, obviously. Um, and a guy like Cody Ceci, where in Leafs Nation, we just couldn't wait to see the guy leave and look what he can bring. But it's all about putting players in positions to succeed as well. Cody Ceci is mm-hmm. one of those guys, right? Same thing with Duncan Keith at his age. He's not your number one, number two defenseman, but at the same time, you definitely have to have him in a position where he can succeed. And that's what the Oilers have been able to do. And that's what this playoffs has been all about. I want to ask you, though, has there been a surprise other than the Edmonton Oilers in this playoffs for you, whether it's a team that's won around, a team that went out too early? Has there been a team that you're like, wow, I cannot believe that happened? Florida getting swept. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that's probably the biggest one. Um, am I shocked by it? No, not at all. But, you know, this is a Florida team that had a record-setting regular season offensively. They did some tremendous work in the regular season. Um, you know, they they eked it out against the Capitals, and then they absolutely collapsed against Tampa. You know, I also think it, it shows that there's been a lot of disrespect on the Tampa Bay Lightning this year as well. Um, you know, I, I 
I'm sorry to say this, but I took them to beat the Toronto Maple Leafs in the first round. And, you know, in game seven, I put a pretty sizable sum on the, the lightning money line that paid off for me. Um, it's, it's a team that has been there and done that two years in a row um, that has shown no signs and signs of slowing down at any point. So, you know, I, even before the playoffs, I took uh, Tampa Bay to win the cup at plus 1100 odds for anybody who's a betting person. Those are pretty, those are pretty long shot odds. Um, so I think for me, you know, the biggest two have been out East actually, and they're those two teams. And I'll actually also give the St. Louis Blues a lot of credit for hanging around with Colorado to six games. Um, I thought the Blues played a really strong series there against uh, Colorado. So uh, stick taps to them as well. Yeah, no, <laughs> the knife for the Maple Leafs. We'll talk about them in just a minute. Uh, for me, I'll, I'll echo what you said about the Florida Panthers. I really thought they put up a bigger fight against the Tampa Bay Lightning. Obviously, the offense they have, Bobrovsky, when he's on, he can be an all-worldly goalie. Uh, but you also have to remember, Ekblad coming in, you know, who knows what his health was really at. Um, yeah, that was a shocker to me. Um, another one was the Calgary. Calgary going out to Edmonton, to me, was a huge, huge shock. That one was like, wow. I really <laughs> thought the Flames – I picked the Flames to be in the cup final. I really yeah. did. I thought they were a team of destiny. I thought they got it all clicking. They had everything going. Uh, Tyler Toffoli, you know, great acquisition. Uh, that team had it all. Finally went and got the goaltender they need. I picked them last year to win the Canadian division. You know, so to see them go out to Edmonton, not a shocker with Connor McDavid, Leon Dreisaitl, Mike Smith playing out of his mind, but it's just crazy to see that team not force it to seven at least, you know, against the Oilers. But, hey, tip of the cap to the Edmonton Oilers, man. I really think they got some magic in a bottle. Now, I got to ask you, We've talked about it a few times, and we talked about, hey, it takes time. Connor McDavid has taken time to get to this point. Do you think the Toronto Maple Leafs keep this core together to give them the same time to get to where Edmonton is now? Because right now, every single Leaf fan has their hand on the nuclear button. Just blow it up. Keep Matthews. But outside of that, everybody's talking about buying out Tavares getting rid of Marner, getting rid of Nylander. Why do we sign Riley? Hey, Jack Campbell, who cares if he stays or if he goes? Let's find somebody else. What do you think? I think we should keep it together, but what do you think? Yeah, I think so too. I think you guys would be foolish to blow it up, to trade any of the big pieces. It just doesn't make sense to me. Um, To me, I think, you know, it's – as somebody who's been there in that fan base, that similar fan base and experienced it, you know, I really am happy that the others have stuck with the program because it's paid off. It's paying off dividends right now. You know, again, Toronto, like you guys took Tampa to seven games in the first round. Like that's like in and of itself, that's something that you guys should be able to hang your hats on and say, hey, you know what? We really fought here to to make this happen. Um mm-hmm. I just, I think it's silly to blow it up at this point. I really do. It's just, you guys got a really strong core there. I really love Austin Matthews as a player. You know, Mitch Marner, maybe he makes a little bit too much money at 11-5. You know, William Nylander is a guy that I've always loved. I think he's a great player, great top six winger, really good at driving play on both ends of the ice. Um, You know, I think there's some more depth that's needed too. And maybe, you know, I think, I think Toronto kind of, tries to do or has tried to do what Edmonton's done as well, bringing in these older veteran guys to play 
you know, bottom six roles or third pairing roles on the back end sort of a thing. Um, I think that it works to a certain extent, but, you know, at the end of the day, you got to be able to have four lines that you can roll in the NHL. And that's what we're seeing now in the playoffs. Like for the Oilers, for example, the Oilers fourth line has been terrible in these playoffs, James. They've scored I one saw your goal. tweet the other day. Yeah. They, they've scored one goal. It was last night. They've been on the ice for six as a, as a line. Like that's been really, really tough for them. Um, and it's co- almost cost the Oilers. And again, last night they had those sort of struggles. So, you know, I think you have to be able to build a team that's got an effective group through top to bottom. Um, you know, I think part of the issue too that Toronto's had was they've just had such a young core of big name pieces. Matthews, Marner, Nylander, um, Riley. These are all young guys who have kind of grown up together and are now, like the Oilers have, been getting that shared experience together. So, you know, Toronto, I think just staying with the program, rolling it back next season. I have question marks about Jack Campbell and Nett. I'm not going to lie. Um, that's one that I would be a little bit concerned about, maybe seeing if there is another high-end goaltender that can be brought in. But, you know, I think he still had a strong season for the team. And I think, you know, I think Sheldon Keefe's a really good coach. I believe in Kyle Dubas. I always have as somebody yep. who's been an outsider. Um, I, I think you guys are right on the cusp of doing what the Oilers have done this year. See, I'll agree with you. I agree with you 100%. And I take a lot of flack for that. But, hey, you know what? I've always been the one to look on the, the bright and shiny side. For how many years have either the Oilers or the Maple Leafs looked for marquee players to have in their lineup? You know, I look at the Toronto Maple Leafs before Austin Matthews. Who was it? There was nobody for a long period of time that was really a big, big name. You could talk about Phil Kessel or James Van Riemsdyk. Yeah, great players, but not transcending players, which the Leafs have now in their lineup. And they've got complimentary guys, too, that do decent things. I want to ask you one specific question. You might not have seen this one, but I think everybody did. The The call that got John Tavares' goal called back. With all the way they were calling that series, Game 6 and Game 7 were called differently. That one there, and then, of course, Patrick Maroon water skiing behind Austin Matthews holding his jersey, so he was couldn't do anything, not called. I'm wondering for you, was that one that kind of decided this series too? Not to mention the high stick one, but that one right there where a goal gets called back, it tied the game. That to me was a tough one. I'm not going to lie, James. I don't fully remember it. Um, You know, but as a whole, I kind of have the belief that there's a lot of things that happen before the one big moment happens, so to speak. You know, there's things that lead up to that one moment. Um, You know, I look back to Calgary, for example, um, just because this is one that I can kind of remember where, you know, game five at the end of the game, the Blake Coleman goal, sorry, the Blake Coleman goal. Oh, I say that 10 times fast. (laughs) It's called back. Um, But the truth of the matter is is that the Flames lost games two, three, and four, and they blew a 2-0 lead and a 4-3 lead in game five, um, you know, for the Oilers to come back. So, uh, unfortunately, I, I can't really comment on it specifically because I don't remember. But, you know, that's kind of my mantra about those sorts of things where, you know, the one big moment happens. Same thing last night with the Oilers in game one against Colorado with yep. Kale McCargo. There was a lot of things that went wrong for the Oilers uh, before that was sort of the one that, that blew it up for them. Well, the one that blew it up for the Leafs, I think, was in game six. It was the, uh, the high stick that was called. I think it was on, I don't know what defenseman it was. Um, on the Leafs, but it actually didn't catch him at all. It hit him in the shoulder. He threw the head back. They called two. Kerfoot goes down the ice on the penalty kill for a chance. 
Him and Hedman get served. Things mixed up. The stick comes up, gets Hedman. Now they're on a five on three. Of course, Tampa converts, ties the game. And then we all know they won in overtime. So um, for me, I'm wondering, you, you look at those and you, you look at the just the officiating part of it. You're like, Ugh! because that right there for the Leafs, it was, it was in their hands. And then it kind of got taken out of their hands by the one missed phantom call. And we all know high sticks in the Toronto Maple Leafs. They just either don't get them called for themselves, hello, 93, or they get them called and it blows up their chance. But, you know, ifs and whats and candies and nuts, you're right. A team needs to take care of the advantages that they have. Toronto could have won different games. They didn't do so. Um, I'll ask you quickly, the McCarr goal, is it? Isn't it? What did you see? What do you What do you think? Obviously, by everybody's definition, it was a, a good goal. I guess if you read the rule by the letter of the law, but man, <laughs> any other game, I'm thinking that's offside. Oh man, it's it's the mental gymnastics people have gone through to try and say that this is a good goal has blown my mind. Um, <clears throat> I understand the rule book. I understand that things are in place for certain reasons, but at the end of the day. You cannot tell me Kale McCarr is not in possession of the puck as he's coming across the blue line. I've watched it back numerous times. This is also part of an issue I have with slow motion replay in a game like hockey where it's so fast paced. You know, we look at these sort of instances in the margins, they're really just razor thin at the end of the day here, right? Um, it's So it's really difficult, I think, you know, to go back in a situation like that and say, well, now that we've looked at the slow motion replay, yeah, you know what, that actually, the call stands, it's a good goal. doesn't make sense to me. It really doesn't. And I think this is the issue we have where these lines start to become blurred with the refing um, and it becomes a major issue for, for the, the NHL as a whole. Yeah, no, I 100% agree with you. Like I said, I thought it was offside. I I had no problem with it being offside either. But yeah, like you said, the, the, the amount of effort that have gone into this to make it seem to be a good goal and the amount of people coming out of the woodwork, I felt like I was watching the Johnny Depp Amber Heard trial, all the people coming to testify that this is a good goal. Everybody coming out. I was just like, wow. Okay. It's nuts. It's nuts. And again, at the end of the day, it's truly water under the bridge because yeah. there was a lot of other things that went wrong for the Oilers. Um, but it is an isolated incident. Like I said, it's frustrating. It's confusing. And I think it causes some issues as a whole for the league. No, it definitely will. It's it's things again. And we'll look at it in the summer and it'll be drug out and they'll look at the interpretation of the rule and, hey, should we change the lettering of it or this, that and the other stuff? And then it'll just get muddied even further because that's the way it'll go. Uh, the last thing I want to ask you, and then, of course, we got a little segment here on this show. It's called The Bearded Blue Warrior uh, by Boxing Rock. I'll get you to pick somebody. Uh, just toss the the beard on them. I'll throw the beard on and pick a guy as well. Um, but I want to ask you about the Jordan Bennington situation, throwing the water bottle at Nazem Kadri. Um, kind of was cheekish about it when it happened. Uh, comes out and said, yeah, I did it. It was, a, what do you say, a God-given moment um, for me to do it. Is exactly what he said. Um, I want to ask you, obviously unprofessional is all hell uh, to do something like that, whether it hit him or not, just foolish, stupid. Does Bennington really need to try to get his emotions in check? He's a hothead. He is a hothead. I mean, it's difficult because 
in one sense of the term, you want to have a guy who's fiery. Hey, take a look at Mike Smith. That's a guy that we know in the Edmonton market all too well. You know, Mike Smith's done some dumb things. I think back to, I think it was game six. I can't remember which game it was. One of the last two or three games. Um, Andreas Athanasiu kind of crashed the Oilers' crease and was kind of laying on his back. And Mike Smith took his stick and speared Athanasiu in the junk. And, you know, the Oilers took a minor penalty. Thankfully, they were able to kill it. But it was the same sort of a thing where it's like, hey, wait a second. What are you doing? And why are you doing this? Same thing with Jordan Bennington. Look, I totally understand. Kadri is a guy who, as we all know, has towed the line throughout his NHL career as a whole. Um, you know, I didn't buy the fact that, you know, Kadri was trying to come up with an excuse for crashing into Bennington. I think he was clearly in the wrong there um, on that play. And again, I understand the frustration about Bennington. I mean, it's a massive moment in that series for, for St. Louis as they're trying to fight their way through a tough Colorado team. You know, I understand the frustration about being taken out at the legs, now being hurt, being able to come back out there and fight all because of a cheap play. But to go out of your way to throw a water bottle at a guy who's in the middle of a live interview, I mean, it's silly to me. It, it really is. Yeah. Um, is it shocking? No, because at the end of the day, you know, these are all professional athletes who are guys that are very, they're highly competitive in the best sport, in the best league in the entire world. They want nothing more than, to be able to win every single opportunity they have and contribute every single game. Uh, but at the end of the day, yeah, I think it was uh, I think it was a foolish decision by him to say the least. Yeah. I gave him a little bit of black eye. I mean, obviously I'm sure him and Kadri will hash it out some point somewhere. Maybe they won't, maybe they'll, maybe they'll duke it out on the ice and finally Bennington will drop the blocker in the glove and actually fight someone instead of just throwing fakes at everybody as he skates away down the ice. But my friend, Zach, it is amazing to have you on. I love your perspective. I love getting to talk to you. We have a segment on the show we just talked about a moment ago. It's called the Boxing Rock Brewing Co. Bearded Blue Warrior. I'm going to throw it on right quick. It's right here. We do it. They're absolutely awesome, folks. They sponsor the show. So I'm going to get you to pick somebody as your Bearded Blue Warrior this episode. Could be a fan, coach, player. It doesn't matter. Just someone you think deserves to be the warrior for your side of things. Uh, to me, you know what? I got to go with my guy, Connor McDavid, James. I mean, you look at the what he's been able to do in these playoffs, the way he's developed as a leader in the NHL. You know, he came in and he was a young captain in this league who was trying to find his voice and trying to find his way. Um, you know, he's gone through some really tough times in Edmonton here with this team, and he's stuck through with it thick and thin here in Edmonton. Um, and now the, the it's paying off dividends for him. You know, he looked dominant against Calgary. He took it to an absolute other level in that series. Um, and I would expect him to have some more big games here uh, in the wake against Colorado. So for me, uh, big hat tip to my boy, Connor. There you go. Well, there's your bearded blue warrior. And I'm going to stick with the Edmonton Oilers. I'm going to go with our man, hashtag Hyman Hustle. We used to call him over here in Toronto. Zach Hyman. I absolutely love the fact that he's in round three, playing with the Edmonton Oilers, getting the opportunity, loving seeing him go on a run. The guy worked his tail off here in Toronto, earns everything that he gets. Love Zach Hyman. He's my Boxing Rock Brewing Co. Bearding Blue Warrior. All right, Zach. I appreciate you for jumping on. Cannot wait to talk to you, hopefully, at the end of the playoffs when that big shiny mug is above Connor McDavid's head, a generational trophy for a generational player. It would be absolutely the headline you want to see. Um, where can everybody find your work and make sure they get a hold of you when the Oilers make it to that promised land? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at ZJLang. Uh, that's where I do all of my tweeting and 
talking. Um, I'm posting all the clips of the Edmonton Oilers games and the quotes afterwards. Uh, you can find my work at OilersNation.com, DailyFaceOff.com, and uh, TheJaysNation.com as well. There we go. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that is Zach Lang, and this is Offside Hockey Talk, where hockey comes to talk.